0: Uh, we don't always know all of the reasons for his decisions, um, but I think we can all agree when we, when we sit and think about it that God has shown himself to be trustworthy in our lives. He's a trustworthy God to make these sorts of, of grand decisions that are made, and he, um, and, and he actually is, is more trustworthy than we are to make these kind of decisions. And in the end, it's all for his glory um, so that he is honored, which is why we even exist and breathe, right? Today um, we're going to be looking at a little bit of like the why behind what happened to Israel um, why why did israel why did God kind of pivot away from using Israel as his primary people to reveal his glory and what was going on with them and, and, and what was their response to, to this situation. And, um, and I think it will be instructive for us and maybe even corrective for us because I think some of the same dangers that existed for the Israelites, for the Jewish people in the first century some of those same dangers exist for us in the American church in the 21st century. And so um, I think we can take his, his corrective also. So let me pray for us and we'll get into this. Lord, um, as we dive into these verses, uh, may you just be uh, honored and glorified in our time together. Uh, may your word just be very, very clear to us. And, um, and I pray more than anything, um, God, you know I've been praying in, in this way this week that um, if we need to be corrected um, in, in really the same way as Israel was corrected in the first century, um, if maybe we have been living uh, a life of religious practice, a life of, of of zeal for God and 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 pursuit of things uh, that are religious and god uh, and, and God adjacent. Um, but have never truly uh, given ourselves to you and trusted ourselves to you. Lord, um, that you would break down those walls this morning, that you would, you would bring the, the blindness from our eyes and that we would be able to see our uh, great need of repentance. Help, um, help me just make your word clear this morning. I pray this on your name, amen. So right at the end of chapter nine, uh, he says this. He says, what shall we say then? Which if you remember, he's used this phrase a number of times throughout Romans. It's kind of the way he, he makes his argumentation. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. So he's he's." He's setting up kind of this weird situation. And if you think about it, historically, it is kind of weird that this happened in the first century. That that these people who were pursuing... Being innocent before God—I'm going to use that word a number of times this morning. You know, innocence in our in our court system means means that you're not held legally responsible for anything, right? You're not you're not guilty. You're innocent. They were trying to be innocent before God. The Jews really wanted to be righteous, which which was for them less about um, less about. Uh, uh, God and them and their relationship to God, but more about being a right, the right kind of person from the right side of the track, from, 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 the, from the, the, the place where people would go, hey, that's a good person walking right there. That's a good guy. And, and in the Israelite mind, you've got to understand everything was oriented around Yahweh, around God, And so he was kind of the standard bearer for that, right? Like, they wanted to live by the principles of of the God Yahweh, because he was their God. He was the Jewish God. And they were pursuing this life of trying to live up to the standards of Yahweh. And I think we would go, that's probably a pretty decent pursuit, right? Right? It's probably good that they were wanting to, to live in line with God's will. But those at, who as a people wrapped their culture around this pursuit of righteousness, this pursuit of innocence before God, they actually did not attain to it. Which seems crazy, right? If my whole life and my whole culture is built around being right, doing the right kinds of things, then it seems like I would be right at that point. I would be doing the right kinds of things which would make me right. I would be living sort of an innocent life so I should be innocent of the charges, right? But he says, no, they didn't arrive at that, at that law. Law just means principle here, that that idea of trying to pursue righteousness. They never arrived at it even though their lives are kind of wrapped around reaching it. And on the flip side, a really, really odd thing. This, is, this seems like an oxymoron here. Like the Gentiles, who really didn't care anything about the righteousness of Yahweh, really didn't care anything about pursuing uh, his will and what he had laid down as, as the principles to live by, they didn't really care much about that. They weren't concerned much about that. And actually, any sort of religious practice most of them had was surrounding about having a better crop next year or something. That really, they didn't care about being good, about being right. And that group of people attained righteousness. Like, it seems so odd. And he's laying this out. He's like, look, we got to understand, just as kind of a base level principle here. Humans have wronged God, right? We just have. We got to understand that at the base level. We have committed crimes against God. Every human has. And we continue to do so. But these Gentiles showed no interest in even caring about the crimes that they were committing against God. And they found themselves innocent before God by faith. By trusting what Jesus did. And these people who were trying to live innocently, who were trying not to commit crimes against God, they actually ended up fully guilty before God. Do you see the the dichotomy here? Like, Like, how does this happen? Well, he explains. Why? Why did this happen? Well, it's because they did not pursue it by faith but as though it were by works. See, the Jews thought they could live an innocent life. They thought they could live a life that Yahweh would accept. They thought they could live in such a way that eventually, if they worked hard enough, at the end of their lives, they could secure a verdict of not guilty before God. They, if they just dedicated themselves more holy to it. And those in their society that were the most dedicated, at least outwardly, it seemed like they kind of had it all together, they were highly honored, even even given wealth and stuff, because because those guys, they've got it locked down. Look at how they live. I want to be like them. They're God followers. They're Yahweh followers. God says it, they do it. But that religious life that they lived, it causes a thing which is interesting that that you've probably seen before. I've definitely seen this before. It's this entitlement thing. I work hard for God, thus now God owes me something, right? These people don't work hard for God. These people don't even care about God's will. I care about God's will. God, I'm entitled to something from you. But what's interesting about that is when you look at it, that's a very, very human perspective that really all humans have. You look at any religion in the world and they have some sort of tit-for-tat thing going on, right? Some entitlement thing going on, whether it's karma, right? My good karma, always my bad karma, and I'm kind of good to go. Some religions have kind of an action-reaction principle going on in their theology. Uh, Reincarnation is based on this principle. In fact, I've got this little quote from uh, Guatma Buddha here. He says, uh, Do not think a small sin will not return in your future lives. Just as falling drops of water will fill a large container, the little sins that steadfast accumulate will completely overwhelm you. You do a bunch of bad things, it's going to haunt you. Do not think a small virtue will not return in your future lives. Just as a falling drops of water will fill a large container, the little virtues will steadfastly accumulate, will steadfast accumulate, will completely overwhelm you. He wrote in a very provocative way, which actually is why people kind of, oh, yeah, 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 right? But it's that same principle, Right? I do a lot of little good things, and good's going to happen. I do a lot of little bad things, it's not going to turn out well. It's, it's the same principle, and the Jewish people were like, yeah, that's the principle. If I do the good things, if I do the right things, now I'm owed something. And he said, that's the reason why they completely missed it. That's the reason why they are not righteous. They are not innocent before God. In fact, they will stand before God fully guilty. It's because they lived by this karma principle. They lived by this tit-for-tat principle, this action-reaction. Not by faith. He goes on, he says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, behold, I lay a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This is from Isaiah 28 is the, is the quote here. And, and, he, and he's talking about this, this stone, this, this rock that trips people up. They stumble over it. They fall flat on their face when they encounter it. And, and it's a rock of offense, which, which is interesting because that word offense actually means like a, a trap, a, a device that catches. People, get, people fall into this trap. They get tripped up by this stumbling stone. Who's the stone? Or what's the stone? I gave, I gave a little clue there, right? The stone is Christ, the Messiah, Right? He came, and they were were living their lives like, hey, I can win this game of righteousness. If I just work hard enough, if I just do the right things, if I'm just good enough, and I've spent my whole life. Think about it. Think about spending your whole life. Maybe you can relate to this. Spending your whole life trying to be a better person. You've done that for 30, 40, 50 years And this Messiah guy comes in and says, your goodness means nothing. Your efforts to be good means zip, zip zippo. Instead, you need to divest yourself and trust in your own abilities and trust in me. Right? They're like, no way. Are you kidding me? I've spent my life doing this. Don't talk to me about faith. Don't talk to me about trusting someone else. I've trusted myself my whole life. And look where it's gotten me. Look at how respected I am in my community. No, thank you. You're not the Messiah. (laughs) You're not the guy I was waiting for. I was waiting for my conquering king. Where's that happening? Dude who died on a cross? Come on. They tripped up on him. And then you have this other group who recognize kind of how messed up they are, how they've really never pursued God. And they, they get keyed into this faith thing. Well, they, they have less to destroy in their lives because they know they've kind of messed up. They've kind of been living messed up. They kind of chose to live messed up. I remember this in junior high. I remember thinking this way for whatever reason, like, I, you know, I was going to church all the time and stuff, but I wanted to do as much bad as I could. I don't know what was going through my head, but I was like looking for ways to do things I wasn't supposed to do. So I was sneaking out of the house every night, I was drinking with my friends, I was trying to hook up with girls, which never happened, thank you, Jesus. Like, like I just wanted to go and do anything. I, I, I smoked, I, I, I chewed, that stuff's nasty. Like, I just did everything that I thought I couldn't do. Because I I wanted to do that. And that's where these guys are at. They're like, yeah, we just kind of lived in this excess and messy life, right? And they chose to pursue Jesus by faith. They they recognized, I I got nothing. got to tell you, you know, uh, Paul right here at the beginning, let me go back here, says, uh, oh, no, no, no. He says it in the next thing. He's gonna say this. He's gonna say his heart's desire is that Israel would come to Christ. Got to be honest. I, I, I think because of the, the two sided life that I lived for many years when I was younger, I have a deep, deep heart for the unbelieving church. And you might go, well, that's a that's that's an oxymoron. That that how does that ex- the church is a believing place, right? I don't agree. I think many people in the American church, and by the way, if you want to see this clearly on display, just drive into the Bible Belt. You can go to many churches that are full of unbelieving Christians, people who care nothing about Christ, but call themselves Christians and have been going to church since there was zero. I have a deep-hearted like, desire to see the church follow Jesus. In fact, I've had conversations with some of you about the fact that in some ways, I'm happy with the persecution that's coming upon the church because I think it will sift out some who don't really care about Jesus because why would I keep doing that if it's gonna work negatively in my life, right? But it's worked so positively in people's lives. You get respected in your community and all those things. That, why wouldn't I do this thing? I like being a part of this church thing where I get respected and loved and all that. But the church is meant to be full of believers, right? Israel, the, the people of God, was meant to be full of faithful people to God who wanted God's will in their life. And instead, they just took what he said and said, this is the more important thing. What Jesus told us, or God told us to do, that's the important thing. What he really wants for my life, that's a secondary concern. I don't really care. I just care about what he's told me to do. How weird is that? But do Christians do the same thing? Care more about their daily devotions than they do about a heart that's really dedicated to God? Care about the fact that they've read every part of the Bible 20 times? than really living out the principles of the Bible and having deep heart change? Does that exist? Sure it does. This was the same thing that was tripping them up, and it's the same exact type thing that can trip us up. And we gotta, we gotta take their example. Be, be wary of their example. Because whoever believes in him, look at that last statement, Whoever believes in him, which, by the way, I've said this many, many times, that, that's that word for faith. It's, it's the verb form of faith. Those who trust in him, that's not believing things about God, believing things about Jesus, having some sort of theological knowledge. That's not at all what he's talking about here. It says, for those who entrust themselves to him, you won't be disappointed. And, and disappointed, actually, I, I wish they translated it, put to shame, because that's actually what it means you won't be ashamed. You won't have reason to be embarrassed if you truly trust him. I'm missing my, I like putting these little examples and these little jokes and I keep missing them. Like every week, this is becoming a thing now. Okay, Stumbling Stone, Rock of Offense is a trap. I'm a nerd and love Star Wars, so. It's a trap. It's a trap. There you go, there you go, that was it. Totally bad timing on that, but there we go. All right, the point if you wanna fill it out is trying to prove innocence before God will only leave you embarrassed before him. Trying to prove your innocence before God will only leave you embarrassed before him. Gotta be careful not to make the same mistake. He goes on with this phrase that I already talked about. Brethren, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. Which is a stark statement for him to make. Because if there was anyone who should have salvation, it it was the people of God, the Israelites, right? Say the same thing. My heart's desire, my deep desire is that the, for the church is salvation. And again, that seems weird, right? Unsaved church it was just as weird in the first century to say unrighteous Israel. Because if anybody was righteous, it was them. He says, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. They clearly had a zeal for God, which means they had intense emotional interest in God. They desired deeply full dedication, full passion, full effort for things of God. They dedicated hours and hours and hours and hours of their life to knowing His Word, to studying His Word, to memorizing His Word. A lot of Jew- young Jewish boys had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized by the time they were 12. That's, that's just crazy, right? Like, like, man, I can't even remember individual verses, how how can you do like five whole, and those things are not short, right? They had them. They dedicated hours and hours and hours discussing the law and the intricacies of the law and the meticulous religious rites and how to do them correctly. They were zealous about their Sabbath keeping. In fact, those who did not keep the Sabbath in the Jewish culture. They hated those guys. Like, come on, people of God, keep the Sabbath. Their festivals, their pilgrimages, they were dedicated wholeheartedly to the law of God. They had a great zeal. And it showed up in so many things in their culture. The problem was their passion and their desire did not line up with knowledge, with full comprehension. They were doing all of that effort, and they didn't understand what God really wanted from them. Zeal without truth is actually pretty sad, if you think about it, and dangerous. Imagine that you had a neighbor who, you, you, uh, who just moved in. You're really excited they're moved in. You really want to welcome them to the neighborhood. And so you buy this huge thing, of bouquet of flowers, and you bring it over, and you knock on the door, and they answer, you go, here, take it. Welcome. And they're deathly allergic to flowers. <laughs> they fall over dead. Right? <laughs> like, There's a lot of zeal with that, a lot of passion. You're really excited that they're in the neighborhood. But if it doesn't line up with the knowledge that these people can't can't deal with flowers, it's dangerous. Common wisdom in our culture today, a common phrase that you'll hear is, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your belief, right? It flies in the face of that. It really does matter what you believe. And in fact, that statement taken to any sort of logical conclusion is dumb. (laughs) Nobody's looking at jihadists and going, oh, they just have sincere belief. Good job, way to blow up those people, nice job. Way Way to kill all your enemies, including us, we're happy about that. Taking down those towers, good job. You're just sincere in your belief, like how ridiculous is that? They do they have zeal for for God? Yeah. They're blowing themselves up out of their zeal for God. But they don't know God's will. They don't understand what God wants for them and so their sacrifice is nothing. It means nothing. It's completely empty. Israel, all this dedication and all this this work for God to be to be better people and, and innocent people before God was empty and worth nothing because they didn't know that God's God's will was their faith. They're trusting in what He does, not in their own goodness. Their, all those efforts were wasted. And it wasn't just ignorance, because you might tend to feel sad for them and go, man, if they just knew. No, there's willfulness involved in it. He says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. See, they both didn't understand God's will, but didn't want to know God's will, really, They were too happy with their own righteousness. They tried to bring their righteousness before God. God's rejecting it. God's going, no, it's got to be by faith. And they were unwilling to humble themselves to break down these walls of their own self-righteousness that they had built, these towers, beautiful towers of self-righteousness. They were unwilling to break those down to rubble in order to trust in his Messiah. It's willfulness that goes with that too. And the challenge for us as we're reflecting on this is, is this us? Have we spent our lives attending church and checking off that box, reading the Bible and checking off that box, doing all of the things that I'm supposed to do as a believer and, now, and, and building that up because we like the recognition that we get for that and, and the sense of self that we have, of the confidence I have in what I'm doing, and we are unwilling to break that down to nothing in order to trust in him to count it all as garbage, like Paul did. Just so I could grope at him, just trust in him. If we have not done that, let's be very, very clear about what he's saying. Israel didn't do that either, most of them and they're going to bring their self-righteousness to God, and he's going to go, I don't know you. I don't know you. See, they made a relationship with God into religious practice. They took what was supposed to be worship of God and really turned it into worship of self, of my own abilities, of propping myself up before others. They took love for God and made it into self love and self reliance. And again, we have that same capacity. We can make this into religious practice, and many have. We can make this into church going. We can make this into just showing up. We can make this into living by the standards of our community so others will pat us on the back. It's not hard. We can make this more about being a good person than serving a good God. We can make this about gaining more theological knowledge so when people ask questions, we have the answer to everything instead of life transformation, which is what that knowledge is supposed to produce. We can make this about being a nice person about being a respected person in our community, a pillar in our community, which many have, instead of being a slave of Christ. We can make this thing about feeling good about ourselves, instead of truly being good in spite of ourselves. But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law, law principles, everything God has laid down as do this, don't do that, all of it was leading to Christ. He was the culmination, He was the end goal. It was all leading to Him. And for us who trust in Him, that was the whole point—to get us to a place of going. I gotta trust You, Lord. I have to trust You. My self righteousness is filthy rags. Is ugly. I've tried, and I'm not going to fool myself into believing this meek, this, this 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 trying to be righteous, this trying to be something good. I just know better than that now. I'm not going to fool myself. And and see, the problem with the Israelites is they just kept telling each other that they're good, right? They'd get together and say, you're good, and you're you're righteous, and you're righteous, and yeah, tell me I'm righteous, I'm righteous. And they would stay in these little clubs that told each other that they're they're righteous when they were completely unrighteous, when they needed that all to be broken down. And again, we can do the same thing. In fact, we can use grace to do the same thing. Because what we tend to tell each other, it doesn't matter. Your life does not matter. It's all covered. It's all under grace. It's absolutely true. For those who have trusted their lives to Jesus. And as many other passages will tell us, I think we need to think twice if we're living in such a way that it doesn't resemble the fact that he's Lord. He says this, he says, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. He's going back to the beginning. He's like, this is how it's always been. If you don't think it was about faith back then, it was about faith because If you want to live by righteousness, if you want to try to prove to God that you are innocent, you want to get that innocent verdict from God, and you want to do it by trying to live an innocent life, then guess what? You have to live an innocent life. You have to truly be innocent of the crime. James 2 uh, says this very, very well. He says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at, in one point, he's become guilty of it all. See, if they were going to try to be innocent and righteous before God, then they had to be completely innocent. And what they, what they did is they knew they weren't completely innocent, so they would cover up their guilt. And again, they would keep telling each other, you're great, you're great, you're great. And you tell a lie enough and it becomes the truth. And they were caught in that. And we can be caught in that. We have to do things God's way. A little silly example here, but imagine if I worked for years perfecting how to throw a yo-yo at a soccer ball. And not just at a soccer ball sitting there. I started that way, but then I started learning how to throw a yo-yo at a soccer ball that's moving and actually hit it. And I got really, really good at throwing a yo-yo at a soccer ball. And then I joined the high school soccer team. And I get out there and I'm ready to go. I got my yo-yo in hand and I'm running around the field and they're kicking it and I'm yo-yoing it and it's hitting and I'm like, boom, point. And they're kicking it around and boom, I hit it again. Point, oh, boom, boom, point, yeah. Goal, I'm taking off my shirt like they do in soccer. You're like, oh, look, like this. ah." And I keep hitting it, boom, boom, boom. The game's over, I'm like, yeah, I see the scoreboard. Three to two, I hit the ball with my yo-yo 15 times. Destroyed you all. And the referee's looking at me going, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) Like, put the yo-yo away. That's not how you play this game, right? Did I win? No, I didn't win. sounds like I didn't even participate, right, in the way I was supposed to. I lost. I could keep telling myself I'm a winner. Look at how many times I hit the soccer ball with the yo-yo. But by every standard of soccer, I didn't win. Got to play by the rules. Understand that thousands of man made religions for all of history have existed. Confucianism, Shintoism, Taoism, Buddhism, Neo Buddhism, Hinduism, Rabbinic Judaism, Non Rabbinic Judaism, Jainism, Sikhism, Babism, Druids, Jewism, Druism, Druism. Shia Islam, Sufi Islam, Sunni Islam, Kabbalah, Mandalism, I can even pronounce that, Yazdanism, Zoroastrianism, Rastafarianism, uh, Neo-Paganism, Wiccan, Luoism, I just go on and on and on and on and on, right? I'm just like scratching the surface of the tens of thousands of religions that have existed over history and that exist in our world today. And every single one of them have their own standards for behavior, have their own standards for worship, have their own standards for what it means to be righteous in their religion. But none of them are playing by God's rules. All of them have decided, you know what, I'm going to make my own Seeking to establish their own righteousness. Every single one of them have done that. They go, God, I don't like your way. I'm going to have it my way. And they create some other religion, some other way of doing things. And it's all zeal without knowledge. You'll find very, very dedicated people in many, many religions. In most religions, you'll at least have a, a, a section of them that are super dedicated. But it's without knowledge. They're rejecting God's call for their own thing. And again, we got to be careful not to do the same thing. Put on your out if you want to fill it in is simply being religious or spiritual will not satisfy God's requirements no matter how intense one's devotion to their religious practice is. Simply being religious or spiritual will not satisfy God's requirements, no matter how intense one's devotion to their religious practice is. Wasn't true for the Jews, and it's not true for many religions today. But, here we go. But the, the righteousness based on faith Speaks as follows Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. So Paul takes some selective excerpts here from a passage in Deuteronomy 30 which this is right before they're going into the promised land. These are like uh, Moses' final speech, his final words to the people. He's trying to remind them of all that God had, had told them to do and not to do, and he's trying to prepare them for going into the land because he's not going with them. He says this, for this commandment, this instruction, he's talking about the whole body of instruction that he gave. He gave he's been talking for a long time. Which I command you today is not too difficult for you nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you would say, who will go up to heaven and get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us and get it and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the important thing and and what he's applying here to our context, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. He's like, I just handed you all of what God has told us to do as a people. You have it. No one has to go get it. No one has to, like, dive in a deep theological thing. I just handed it to you. It's there. It's, It's accessible to you, people of Israel. So if you don't do it, it's not because it's not accessible to you. It's because you're choosing not to do it. He wanted to make it very, very clear. He's applying that... To our context here, he's saying this truth, these gospel truths that I've been sharing with you, and I'm going to share some more here. They're not far from you, people. They're not in heaven. Christ already came down and lived life, right? They're not in the abyss, which is really an illustration for for death. They're not in death. Jesus rose from the grave. They are right here, readily accessible to you and to me. It's near you, in your mouth and in your heart. You have it. Now he's going to be clear on what it is. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So the, the mouth-heart imagery he's using here is actually out of Deuteronomy, right? It's in your mouth and in your heart. That's what he's doing. He's comparing it to that. He's using that as an illustration here, which really is talking about one thing, two sides of the same coin. These are not two separate acts that you have to do. It's not even formulaic. You know, some people would say, like, these are, these are the steps or whatever. It's not formulaic. It's, it's the idea that he's trying to get across, that this is accessible to you. That you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It, it, confess just means to acknowledge it. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. When people say he's not Lord, is he still Lord? Yes. He is Lord of all creation. That. That is undisputable. Now, I can say whatever I want. I can choose to live however I want. I can choose to live as if he is not Lord. That does not make him not Lord. He is Lord. But, but what, what I'm called to, the word that's accessible to me that I need to respond to is, I recognize he's Lord. He's the one in charge. He's the one that has possession of me. I don't have possession of my own life. Going back to my younger years and the decisions I was making and just wanting to do anything bad I could do, I had to come to a point where I said, I'm not making decisions for my life anymore. I'm not the decision maker. I'm not the one in charge anymore. Jesus, here. You're the one in charge. You deserve my life. You should have my life. You're Lord anyway. Here, take it. I'm just going to recognize you as Lord. Do with it what you will. And to believe in your heart. Again, this believe is, is trust is what it is. It's faith. It's to, it's to take trust in myself at the deepest level of who I am. That's my heart. That's who I am, the real person of who I am. This is not lip service that people can give pretty easy. This is not for show to make other people happy with us. Th- this is why, really, I can't tell whether any of you are believers, Right? I mean, I can see some fruit, but in reality, this is, this is in your innermost being. I can't see your innermost being. You can't see mine. But in your innermost being, you said, I'm done trusting myself to do anything for God, because that's futile. And instead, I'm going to trust in what Jesus has done. Which really, this, you know, he says to, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, but that's really. Um, Okay, I'm gonna get nerdy here for a second. That's really a, a synecdoche. You guys know this, this term? It's like, it's like one part of something that represents the whole, right? So if I say, I'm gonna, uh, can I give you a hand? A- am I, do you want my hand? No, you want my whole body to come help you move something or whatever, right? Um, that's what this is. He's, he's saying to believe in this resurrected Jesus is to believe in what Jesus has accomplished, all of what he's accomplished, right? And to go, I'm going to trust in what he's done and stop trusting in my own self-righteousness, which is what the Israelites needed. To humble themselves, to break down their own self-righteousness and trust in his work. What he has done. It's really simple. It's really accessible. Either I'm in charge of my life or he's in charge of my life. Either I'm trusting in what I can do for God or I'm trusting in what he has done for me. That's how accessible it is. That's how simple it is. And it's, it's simple, but not easy. Can we agree? It's really accessible, but it requires a complete reorientation of your life. This is not some complex, like theological unraveling. That if I don't get to the bottom of this theological idea, I'm never gonna attain to righteousness. No, it's it's accessible. Every other religion kind of has that, that spiny thing that's really hard. You know, Buddhism it's the Eightfold Path, and uh, Islam has the Pillars of Islam, and like you better do this every day on the dot, exactly how it's done, and then still maybe you might not get to heaven. Who knows? We're gonna keep working at it. Like like uh, you know. Jews today better do those 613 commands. Like, you better get that. No, no, no. This is simple and accessible. Is your life yours or is your life his? Are you trusting in your ability or in his ability? And if we choose to trust in his ability, if we choose to make him Lord, to to not make him Lord, he is Lord, to recognize him as Lord, then the result is this. Scripture says, whoever believes in him, trusts in him, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what they needed to hear. I think this is somewhat what we need to hear. There's no distinction between people. Those people that you kind of look down on and go, oh my gosh, how could you choose that life of drug abuse? Oh my gosh, how could you abuse your wife? Oh my gosh, how could you be a part of the jihadist movement? I don't know know who we're judging. We're judging somebody, right? Looking down on somebody—it's no distinction. God does not make distinctions between men and women, humans. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon actually is to ask for help. It's nine one one. I need help. We got a choice. See, a little little illustration, right? For our whole lives, we've been captain of our own sinking ship. And we can choose as it sinks and as water comes up to keep bucketing water over the side to keep it afloat. And we can be working hard on on that and doing our best and getting better techniques on how to get that water off of our boat, just try to keep it (laughs) afloat, And if I do that, if I keep doing that, my ship is still sinking. But guess what? I'm still captain of my boat. I get to be saving myself. But there's a boat sliding up next to us. It's not sinking. It's offering help. All we got to do is say, hey, help. But the problem is then I'm no longer captain of the boat, right? I'm no longer saving myself, someone's doing it for me. It's a simple decision, but it's not easy in our humanness to wanna make that choice. Point your hand out if you wanna fill it in. Is God's way to righteousness through faith is readily accessible to every person? God's way to righteousness through faith is readily accessible to every person. Now, did you notice something? Let me notice maybe a contrast to the last couple of weeks and what we've been talking about. Did you notice choice all over this passage? And not God's choice, but our choice right? They did not pursue it by faith. It's their choice. They could have pursued it by faith. Faith, They didn't. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. I'm choosing to trust. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They could have. They could have subjected themselves to his way, but they chose not to. Confess with your mouth, Choice. Believe in your heart. Choice. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Choice is everywhere on here. Is, is Paul like schizophrenic? What's his deal? He was just talking about God being the one who chooses, right? No, I don't think he is. I think he's trying to show us that both exist right next to one another. Both are real. Did God choose some of Israel to faith? Yes, he did. But Israel chose faith or didn't choose faith. What? Yeah, what? But it's okay. Like my brain can't comprehend that, but it's okay. It's okay if we're a little confused. We're small. All right, let's look at the the end here. The ones who generally knew the most about God did not come to know God, while the ones who knew the least about God came to know God best. The ones who wanted most to be righteous ended up dead in their sins, while the ones who did not really care about being righteous ended up holy. Weird, right? The trap that Jews had fallen in is still very real for us today. Those who place their confidence in theological knowledge and religious observance will find themselves far from God. When we strip away our confidence in anything coming from ourselves, the only thing that's left is placing our confidence in all that comes from him. This is the way. You might have noticed I capitalized the W there. The reason for that is that's what they were called early on in the church, the people of the way, because they chose this way, this way of faith, which was so different so different questions uh that have been on your hand out there just read through them here have you seen people who were not seeking righteousness who god brought to faith for his glory i know i have and i and and something about that always excites me right the one who's who clearly is far from god doesn't care about god coming and submitting themselves to god it's crazy do you need to add knowledge to your zeal? And you know what I mean by that question, right? Are you here this morning? I really, I really want us to contemplate this. Are you here this morning as someone who has lived your life, even a very long life, in church, propping yourself up with your own self-righteousness because you're hoping God will accept it? Your zeal will not get you there. Your dedication to the church will not get you there. Are you someone who has fully reached the conclusion that you do not have to rely on law keeping for your security? It's another part of it. We've trusted Jesus with our lives, but we still feel like somehow we've got to live up. And when we fail, we are crushed. I'll just say, if you haven't reached that conclusion, you're not going to on your own. Seek Him, help Him, g- help you gain understanding. Ask Him to help you gain understanding. Let me pray for us, Lord. As we uh, wrap up this passage this morning, um, you know I care deeply about the unknown, about the fact that I just, I just wish you you would like. Turn true believers blue or something, so that we could just know, we could just know what's real. But you don't—you've chosen not to do that. That the, the change is—is a—is a heart change, is a deep heart change. That um, it's an inward choice that can be faked on the outside. So all I can do is trust you, God. All I can do is ask you, please if there's any of these people that I love that are living in self-righteousness, that have chosen the, what you've called them to do, what you've asked them to do over truly, by faith, trusting in you with their lives, well, I pray that you'd break down those walls this morning and that they would come running to you as those who have nothing to offer but their trust in you. I praise the in your name. Amen.